Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. So over the past two weeks, we have been studying the things which John had seen. Uh, According, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 19, God gives us an outline there for this entire book. Um, The things which John had seen, he was to write, that's chapter 1. And then over the next probably seven weeks, um, because there's seven churches here uh, mentioned, in chapters 2 and 3, he told John to write uh, about the things which are. And uh, that includes us. We are. We are this morning. Uh, It's the present time. And then from chapter 4 on, John is going to write about the things which shall be and which shall be for us still, that is, uh, in the future. And uh, so these seven letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, a lot like the churches, uh, the letters that God had uh, the Apostle Paul write to the churches. Think about Romans. First, Second Corinthians, you know, you get the idea all the way through. Even the general epistles like First, Second Peter, First, Second, Third John. A lot like them, these letters to these seven churches here are not just for them, but they're also uh, applicable to you and I. They're applicable to Dublin First Baptist Church. And, and when we read these seven er- verses earlier this morning, but before we get into it uh, here and study it verse by verse, finding out what Jesus wants us to know, let's ask God's blessing on our time together in his word this morning. Father, we come to your word now, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, when we go through these different churches that you had, uh, John, specifically write a letter to, I pray that we would see the message that you have for for us uh, here 2,000 years later uh, in these messages. We we have the same problems that they had. Uh, We we have the same successes and joys that they have. And um, Lord, you have a message for us here this morning. And so uh, as we study your word, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal uh, the truth that you want us to understand here, what you've communicated. God, uh, I pray that we would be a a faithful church, uh, a church that is doing all we can to be that candlestick, to to elevate the light of Jesus Christ in our community and around the world. Um, God, teach us this morning. Speak to us in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, over the next uh, probably seven weeks, um, when we go through these churches, you're going to notice they have kind of a common outline. Um, First of all, they almost always begin with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus addresses each church by, um, he identifies who he is. He uses language taken from chapter one when Jesus revealed himself to John there. Uh, does it usually in a, in a verse or so at the very beginning, and then there's always, uh, a, uh, typically there's always a commendation. So Jesus gives the church some compliment on what they're doing right. That's frequently followed by a criticism, what the church needs to work on in order to fulfill their mission and their purpose. And then there's always a commandment uh, toward the end of the letter. Jesus tells them what to do, and he provides them with some reward. Anytime God gives us a commandment in his word, there's always a reward held out to us for our obedience to it. So let's look at the commendation first, verses one through three. 
As mentioned earlier, that always follows uh, some revelation. Jesus identifying himself as the one speaking to them. If you've got a red letter Bible, this, all these seven verses probably in red letters because Jesus is speaking. And we know as well, this is a message to the church at Ephesus from Jesus himself because of what's stated here in verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, or as we learned last week, to the pastor, uh, to the leadership of this church, John is to write, it says, he's to write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Well, that's obviously Jesus, right? I mean, that's how Jesus identified himself back in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 1 that we studied last week. And so we see here Jesus is being present in the midst of his churches. We see Jesus having the seven stars, the, the seven angels, the seven pastors of these churches in his right hand. But the words here in verse 1 are a little bit stronger, a little bit different than they were in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 1. Because it, it says here that Jesus is not just in the midst of the churches, but he walks in the midst of them. So he's present, yeah, but he's also active. I want you to picture Jesus walking around in, in the midst of all of his churches, and he's, he's uh, inspecting them. Uh, he's appraising them. So most of you know we had a little uh, hiccup this week in our family on the way home from church last Sunday night. Krista and a deer had an interaction. That was not beneficial to the Toyota Corolla. And uh, I had, we had driven separately because I had come early for a budget finance meeting, so I was already at home, and I had all my commentaries laid out. I was studying for this message, and um, last Sunday, and I had gotten comfy because I was going to be at home, so I put my red and black plaid fuzzy pajama pants on, and my white undershirt was still on, and I got a call, and I figured it was the call I usually get. I'm coming home from choir, but instead it was, oh, dear. And uh, immediately, I got up, and I grabbed the keys, and I got in the car, and on the way there, I called Andrew Pate, and he said, I'll send a trooper out there, and where is she? And I told him, and, and by the time I got there, he, he was there with the trooper, and then I realized that I had my black and red fuzzy pajama pants on, and my white t-shirt, and my duck manure boots on, because I had gone out the door, but uh, we were walking around the vehicle, all of us, going, wow, that was a big critter. Uh, we were walking around inspecting it out there. That, that's the idea here. Jesus is not just in the midst of his churches, but it says here in verse 1, he's walking in their midst. It also says here in verse 1 that not only does Jesus have these seven stars in his right hand, like chapter 1, verse 20 said, it says he holds them. He holdeth them in his right hand. So that's a little different, slightly stronger meaning here. And that's going to become apparent as verse 2 begins with Christ's commendation of the church here in Ephesus. He says, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear those which are evil and how you have tried them which say they're apostles and are not and you, you found them liars. And we need to pause here because uh, there's actually commendations, plural, uh, already before we even get to verse 3, Jesus says to the Christians in the church of Ephesus here in verse 2, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. Well, of course he does. He's omniscient, knows all. He's, he's omnipresent. We, he was in the midst of them. He's, he's walking in their midst. He's present and he's active. He's ever inspecting. He's, he's ever evaluating. He, he's ever appraising. Um, the, those penetrating eyes of fire that were described back in verse 14 of chapter 1, they're able to discern what the church is doing for the Lord. 
and how they're doing and why they're doing it. And Jesus says to them here in verse 2, he says, incredible job, y'all. Church of Ephesus, you're doing great. I mean, this was a working church, not a bunch of pew sitters. And they're busy. This church is active. And that's stressed again, and even to a greater degree in the next word. I know your labor, the Greek word here is, is kopos, and, and it means uh, toiling, working to the point of exhaustion. That's what this church was known for. This was their testimony. They didn't just do this every once in a while, like, well, let's all get together and, on this month and we'll really hit missions. No, I mean, this is, this is something that was a testimony. Because look at that next word. I know your patience, meaning an endurance. This is who you are. This is just what you, you do. Here's a church that practices what they preach, which leads us to another attaboy Jesus gives them. You don't bear them which are evil. You try them. People who say they're apostles and they're not. And you found them to be liars. So we know that they were also doctrinally sound. Uh, they would not bear with those who, who preached heresy or practiced it. They knew the truth. They had a high regard for the word of God. Their, their motto would be, the Bible says it and that settles it. And it continues, would you look at verse 3 now? Jesus says, and you have borne and has patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored and you have not fainted. So, I mean, here's a church. They got the practical right. They're on mission. They're busy serving the Lord. They got the preaching right. Biblical truth is declared in this church. It's defended in Ephesus. And they got their purpose right. They do all of this for my name's sake, for Jesus' sake. I mean, they want to see God glorified through a community of faith where people have been transformed by the gospel. Uh, they're busy making disciples, wanting to see that transformation happen in other people's lives. And those are some wonderful, encouraging commendations straight from the mouth of Jesus. I, I would hope he would say that about us, and I think he would. This is the kind of church I think everybody would want to be a part of. But this avalanche of commendations in these two verses, it's followed by one criticism. That's succinctly offered in verse 4. Let's look at it. Just one. It's a pretty major one, though, so don't let the ratio of, of commendations to criticism and Jesus' message to this church cause you to misunderstand what he's about to say in verse 4 or, or to minimize its seriousness. What is their singular identified problem? Jesus says, nevertheless, so that's a, that's a big but there. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because now it's left, my first love. The original Greek's a little stronger in English. It'd be this. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. So what does that mean? Y'all remember Dr. White, who was here right before you asked me to be your pastor? I like what he said about Christ's message here in verse 4. Jesus might mean here, y'all have left loving me like you did when you were first saved. Or, um, Jesus might mean here, y'all have stopped loving each other. And Dr. White said, or he might mean both. Because when you screw up one, you're bound to screw up the other. They're, they're connected. So let's tackle them both. What, what caused this? I, I wish there was a verse that said that. It does not explicitly state it, why they left their first love. This wasn't like a oops. This wasn't like, oh, it just happened. I mean, this, you left. There was intentional. You've left yeah, your first love. What caused this? Well, I don't know for sure. But I know what causes it in churches today. It happens today. Um, the devil really hasn't altered his tactics. First of all, it, uh, leaving your first love is often um, follow, or, or comes from us having a shift in our priorities. Secular things begin to 
take precedence over the sacred. And faithfulness to the Lord is left uh, because faithfulness to the church, to, to his bride is left. The Lord Jesus, his people, they become, well, we've heard this word over the last few years, they become less essential than other facets of our lives. When that shift in priorities happens, it's not long until we find ourselves with selfishness in our pursuits. We live in a narcissistic culture, don't we? What's in it for me is often a focus of, of so many people, even, even Christians. I understand that the word Jesus used here, he says, you've left your first love. And we know that in the Bible there's multiple words, Greek words for love. The one that Jesus uses here is agape, that, that Christ-like love, that self-sacrificial love that we're to have toward the Lord and toward others around us, uh, imitating Jesus. So selfishness and pursuit. Jesus said that it would be like this. In Matthew 24, 12, when Jesus talks about what things are going to be like right before he returns, um, he said this would be a trend even amongst Christians. He says in Matthew 24, 12, because sin is going to abound, the love of many will grow cold. And, uh, you know, our Christ-like self-sacrificial love, that, that thing which Jesus said in John 13, um, this is how uh, people will know that you're truly my disciples, by, by the love that you have for each other. That thing is surrendered because of selfishness in our pursuits. God had the Apostle Paul tell Timothy, hey, it's going to be like this in the last days, even in the church. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, but mark this. He tells Timothy, know this. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be terrible times in the last days. And you know what the first two terrible things are that are listed there? People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. So is this just a message for the church in Ephesus in 95 AD? No, I think we got a message for us here as well. A shift in priorities, and then you get selfishness and pursuits. Uh, you know, in the last year or two, I've seen on a few social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, uh, someone post something like this. It, it says, like, if Paul would see the church here in America in our day, we'd be getting a letter, right? And I know what they mean, right? But it, it kind of frustrates me because we got one. <laughs> we got a letter. We got Romans and First and Second Corinthians, <laughs> And Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you got a letter. You got seven letters here at the beginning of Revelation. They're not just to the church in Ephesus. They're to you, Dublin First Baptist Church, or to me. They're the church of Jesus Christ even today. We got a letter. We don't have any new problems. We don't. We're tempted just as they were. We're tempted to shift our priorities. We're tempted to be selfish in our pursuits. And thirdly, that often leads to shallowness in our praise, you know, just kind of a going through the motions thing. And that's a summary that Dr. White gave of leaving your first love. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute here. This is a church that's on mission, Ephesus. They're busy. They're doctrinally sound. So how could, how could these commendations be true, but also this criticism Jesus gives them? We've got to make sure that we never mistake busyness by itself for something that God blesses or that honors God or that's his intent. That old-time radio preacher, Jay Vernon McGee, he said this once, and it stuck in my head. And he said, you can be busy as a termite and have the same kind of effect. Busyness isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, coming up on six years ago, I think, about now, 
uh, I sat in a Sunday school class here, Ben Tyler, you were a teacher. And um, he, he had us do a little practical, get you thinking exercise. And listen to me, what I'm going to share with you, I share nothing but, but I'm nothing but love for this church. I, I don't think I've ever found a more beautiful body of believers in all my life. It's been my privilege. It is my privilege to be your pastor, to be a part of it. It's my privilege to be a part of this church. Uh, but we were beginning a study on these seven churches back then in that Sunday school class. And uh, we, so here's the exercise we were to do at the beginning. We were told to write a letter real, real quick, a couple minutes, a few sentences. Try, write a letter to Dublin First Baptist Church, kind of like modeled on these letters here. Now, and I've only been here a few months at that point, And so it's not like I had this completely accurate pulse on the health of our church. But I remember what I wrote. And uh, I don't know that it, I, I think it's something that's always something that we got to be watchful uh, about. This is what I wrote. Y'all are busy. Y'all are busy. You, you guys self-sacrificially spend yourselves and your resources on mission in, in obedience to Christ. It's awesome. But I'm not entirely sure you always know why. You're doing what you're doing. And, uh, or why you're supposed to be doing it. Does it matter? It does to Jesus, according to these seven verses here. I mean, that's what he's addressing, the motive. He's addressing the why and all of their activity. Uh, I mean, they're busy serving the Lord, but not out of love for him. Not at this point. Not motivated by it. Not, not extending his love to others. They were doing stuff for others, but not extending his love for others. Uh, there was religion going on in Ephesus, a lot of religion, a lot of ritual. But Jesus says, nevertheless, I hold this against you. You've left your first love, and that can't continue. Jesus is going to make that much certain in the next three verses. And so in great grace and in great love, Jesus gives them, and he gives you and I this morning our commandment in verses 5 to 7. Uh, this religion, this ritual, there's nothing bad with ritual in and of itself. It's a good thing. But it always needs to be motivated by your relationship. And it used to be. That's what Jesus tells them in verse 5. He says, first of all, you need to remember from whence you have fallen. You need to remember. You need to recognize you're, you are, right now, you are not where you were in your relationship with me. Jesus says, you're, you're not where you need to be. You need to remember from whence you have fallen. And that's great grace from the Lord. Because, well, hey, that is step one in the transformative process that happens with God's word. It's always the first step where the Holy Spirit, he uses the word of God to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. But first, we got to admit there's a problem. We have to remember from whence we've fallen. And then after remembering, after recognizing that, what does Jesus say next in verse 5? You need to remember and you need to re repent. You need to make that change of mind that's going to lead to a, a change of action. In faith, we make this commitment to God. I'm, I'm going to do a 180-degree turn. I'm going to do what you're asking me to, Lord. It's about faith. And then Jesus says this, and do the first works. What does that mean? What are the first works? You remember what it was like when you were first saved? Like when you were first just awestruck at the great grace and love of Jesus? And you know what? You might be spending more time in his word now as far as like how much time you're spending. But you remember like how you hungered for the word of God and the Holy Spirit was just like, wow. And he's opening your eyes and you were seeing. And you remember the, the prayers and they probably weren't these eloquent prayers. 
But in, in total dependence, you were crying out to God, and you were just like, this is amazing. I can talk to the God of the universe at any time because you had just learned about that being saved. Do you remember what it was like when, when you couldn't wait to be with God's people? Like, that was the highlight of your week. You couldn't wait to assemble together and worship God, and there was such joy, and there's got to be joy. You can be busy and not have any joy, and it's a hot mess. I want you to notice, though, he doesn't tell them to stop doing what they're doing. Nowhere here does he say, y'all just need to slow down and stop doing what you're doing. Now, I've seen Christians come to this passage, and they, res they respond to it by resigning from every area of service that they're involved in in uh, the church, so supposedly so they can spend more time in God's Word and, and prayer. Uh, look, Jesus doesn't tell us to do any of that here. He says, remember. He says, repent and return. Return to working. Return to doing the first works, but begin doing them with the right motivation, the love of Jesus Christ, the love he has for you. Make that the motivation for why you're doing what you're doing. The love of Jesus Christ, uh, your love for him, reciprocal, and your, uh, his love through you extended to others. What if you don't? I mean, here, Jesus, the great physician, in these verses, he, he gives us this prescription here to help a, a church cure um, a sickness, a really a cancer of mere ritualistic religion, just going through emotions. Jesus, in great love and grace, he speaks to us here in his word this morning. He encourages us. He's like, look, be on guard when it comes to assuming that just busyness, like that's the only metric uh, to decide whether or not your church is healthy and whether you're doing what he's asked you to do. What if we don't recognize that? What if we don't uh, remember and repent and return? Well, look at the end of verse 5. Jesus says, or else I'll come to you quickly, and I'll remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Is that serious? What's a candlestick? It's a church. Jesus says, if your response is not remembering, repenting, and returning, I will have to remove your ability to be a candlestick, to do what you're designed to do, to, to elevate a light source, to make it visible to others. Does that happen? Does Jesus do this sometimes? You could drive around and go take one of those old-fashioned Sunday drives, and you'll see that this happens. That's sad. It happens everywhere all the time, sadly. Churches closing down. Just go to some realty page and see. You'll find churches on there. Uh, Y'all, next time you're on vacation, notice how many churches are a, a coffee shop or a gift shop or an Airbnb. Yeah, it happens. Listen, if we do not guard against this right here at Dublin First Baptist, Jesus says, I will come quickly and I'll remove your candlestick out of its place. I cannot think of a more horrible consequence. Just imagine a November or more from now, and, and there's no OCC boxes up here, and they're not going out no more. No more here, there, and everywhere happening. No WMU, no mission trips. Maybe just a few people gathered together once a week for, you know, check off church off the list. I don't, now I don't believe this is our testimony currently, but I believe Satan would love nothing more for than it to be a loveless church. I don't believe we're that. I don't believe we're way too busy with the wrong motivations all the time, but I, knew, I do know, I know that there is an unrelenting, incessant assault from the devil for that to be the case, for that to be our testimony. And Jesus says, watch it. <laughs> Guard against that. That's why he's telling us this. That's why I'm sharing my heart with the, you this morning. We need to be careful, Dublin. We need to guard against this ever happening here. How do we do that? By living, by doing what Jesus said here. 
by you and I living in a constant state of, of remembering and repenting and returning, us living, always doing the first works, always uh, doing what God's asked us to do, being busy, being on mission, but because we're motivated by our first love, Jesus Christ, as Tommy's saying, more love to thee. What's, what's our church's testimony? Dublin First Baptist Church is a church that's impacting its community. If, if the rapture happened, if there was like a weird rapture and it was just us, right, um, this morning, and we, we go to heaven right now, there would be severe, significant negative implications on, on this community right here. Um, there'd be some level of void in New York and, and Moldova and in other places where our ministries impact. And that's how it should be. Praise the Lord for that. That should be the case. We, we should be making a difference, and we are. All glory to God. We should be busy, and we are. All glory to God. But we need to know why. Why we do what we do. And we need to do what we do because of Christ's love for us, our love for him, and his love through us. Uh, you know, before I was a pastor, I worked a couple different places. I was in middle management, and you had to do reviews, performance reviews for people. And anytime you gave them a criticism, you're supposed to give them a compliment on each side, right? You got to do that, Ben, right? Make a, make a sandwich, right? <laughs> so Jesus kind of does it here in this instance. In verse 6, he says, but yeah, I mean, you're doing this well, too. He says in verse 6, we don't know exactly who these Nicolaitans were. We know that Jesus hated what they were doing, and so did this church, and that was a positive thing that's listed there. Um, they weren't just a problem here. They're also mentioned in verse 15 when Jesus addresses the church of Pergamos. Um, we, we know, now, if this comes from the name Nicholas, he was one of the first of the seven deacons that was chosen back in uh, Acts that when we were going through that book together. Uh, and some people believe that, okay, a misunderstanding of, of something that Nicholas taught as a deacon, it caused his followers to embrace a, a heresy um, that separated the clergy from the laity. So uh, the, the pastors and maybe deacons and stuff, they were uh, kind of seen over here, and the congregation, the, the laity, w was over here. And Scripture teaches no such separation, because we're all uh, pastors, deacons, Sunday school teacher, congregation member, church member. We're all one in Jesus Christ, amen? That's what God tells us in Galatians 3. Uh, and then... And then here we got the commandment. Every commandment given to us by God it always has a reward. Everyone, uh, it says, do this and live. And if you don't, if you disobey, well, you get the opposite result. So in verse 7, Jesus offers us this invitation. Uh, and, and it's for us, but it's also one that's part of, he, he'll say it again to each one of these churches here. Uh, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Churches. And then Jesus promises this. He promises it to every Christian here in Ephesus and to every Christian that's here this morning. It says, those who overcome will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What's the promise there? If we obey, well, God, if we remember, if we repent, if we return to do the first, what's the promise? Eternal life. At heaven. Who's it made to? To him that overcometh. Who is that? Well, that's every Christian. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's how God had John describe you in, in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. It says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So this message is for every Christian, those who have and who continue to turn from sin and to Jesus. Those who have and who their whole life long will continue to remember and repent and return 
to thinking like Jesus and talking like Jesus and living like Jesus and loving Jesus and loving like Jesus. So I look out this morning. Every person here has an ear. Most of you, too. All right. Um, do we have an ear to hear? Do you have an ear to hear? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's communicated to us in these verses here this morning. Uh, I think he's commended our service. And he's commending our faithfulness to his word. But also warning us to guard our hearts, to, to never let shift in priorities or selfishness in our pursuits or, or shallowness in our praise, just being ritual. To never let them be manifestations of you and I leaving our first love. Uh, those are all things that are sure to get in the way of us glorifying God in our commendable service. And Jesus warns us here to never let our love, which should be exclusively his, to never let that be willingly given to things that are less eternal and less worthy. You know, God tells us in Proverbs 4, uh, 23, guard your heart with all diligence. Like that is the most important thing you need to do. Guard your heart with all diligence for everything you do comes from it. And please understand what you do and who you love, that's going to be very clear in what you do and why you're doing it. What you love, who you love, going to be very clear in what you do and why you're doing it. So make sure that's Jesus this morning. Will you commit to the worship that, that's offered in our tireless work? Uh, you, you and I being busy on mission for the Lord, will you commit this morning to that never being mechanical? but instead it always being motivated by being an outflow of God's great love for us and our love for him and his love through us to others. Let's commit to do that as a church. If we'll do that, we don't have to worry about our candlestick ever going anywhere. It'll be lifting up the light of Jesus Christ to this world for eternity. Tommy, will you come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word this morning?